Welcome to Team Brief, the official podcast for ACES UK. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, hi everybody. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Ginny Bowbrick. I'm a consultant vascular surgeon in Kent. Um, I'm also head of school of surgery in Kent, Surrey and Sussex, and chair of the Vascular SAC and chair of Pride and Surgery Forum. Hi, I'm Kath Rennie. I'm an ENT consultant at Charing Cross Hospital London. Um, I'm a rhinologist and anterior skull base surgeon. And I am a Cumulonym laryngologist, head and neck consultant at Annenbrook's Hospital in Cambridge. Great. So funny that, Ginny, you just asked if we could do another take. So you didn't actually list all your other leadership roles. How about that? Yeah, I guess it's just we're always... It's that issue about not wanting to be showing off or bragging or making ourselves to be more, whereas I guess I should be proud of those leadership positions. I don't know, is that part of my self-imposed imposter syndrome or I don't know what that why that is. It's I guess it's just not wanting to to project too much. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so too. I, and Kath, you were saying, why not? Why shouldn't we? I think my comment was, I don't think the men would have thought about that in the same way, Ginny, and a man would definitely have listed his titles or almost certainly. And I came about the same thing when I worried about calling myself a skull-based surgeon. I've been doing skull-based surgery for years now, and it wasn't until Prof Saeed took me aside and said, well, you are a skull-based surgeon. You can call yourself that. And why did I need to be reassured? I should be able to own it if that's what I'm doing. But maybe I do feel some imposter syndrome in it and I haven't owned it myself. And that's just a little thing that someone did in your environment. They called you aside and they just said a few words and that changed your outlook. Those are the kind of things we're looking for people to do, identify, highlight and say something. Um, rather than just walking past the situation. He obviously noticed that there was a problem, but we've got some other things to talk about. International Women's Day comes around every year again. And how sad it is that we need to have an International Women's Day. But I think also how necessary in the age that we live in. What do you think are the pressing things right now in our professional life that we need to talk about? If you could pick one, what would you talk about? I think picking one is quite hard. I think yeah. um, I were aware of most of the issues, but I think reading the Kennedy report was quite a shock to me. Whilst I'm aware of a lot of the things that were brought up in it, that seeing them stated there and listed, listing um, what everybody's thoughts were and experiences were, was really eye-opening to me that we really are in not a great place for what we'd expect at this time for women in surgery. I don't know what your thoughts on the Kennedy report were and how you felt the college represents women in surgery. Ginny? Well, we're the wrong people to talk to, aren't we? We're the survivors, you know, survivorship bias. We've survived the, the what's been thrown at us and we can reflect on the hurdles that we've jumped over. And But we, the people that you need to talk to are the ones that have dropped out you know, who who decided that they didn't want to pursue a career in surgery because they didn't feel it was going to be flexible enough for them if they wanted to have children or be parents. And that's whether that's male or female in regards to being a parent and having a profession. And it's how do you capture that 
because that's what you need, but it's it's really hard to to capture that information. You know, you do you can do exit interviews, and not everyone wants to do an exit interview. They just want to leave. They want to walk away. They don't want to admit that they have had to walk away. But that's the information that we need. We need people to come forward and tell us why they haven't pursued the career in our profession. There are some people who feel that we don't need to ask any more questions because we already know what the issues are. So general things like undermining, intimidation, and not enough learning opportunities, bullying and harassment, difficult hours, not enough respect or regard for less than full-time training, etc. And they feel we should just get on and solve the problem. And I think they have a point. But I also think that if we don't highlight the problem in terms of how severe it is, how many people is it affecting and where is it happening? I think that people tend to put a distance between themselves and the problem. I think there are people who still feel, well, that's not happening in ENT. Well, that's happening in orthopedics. That's a neurosurgical problem. Rather than actually understanding that it's widespread. And if you can't own a problem, how do you invest in solving the problem? How do you invest your time and your energy? And I think that's why I still believe in data capture. It's also the way we kind of try to measure progress. We have nothing else. If you don't ask, I don't think people are going to come out and tell you. No one wants to tell anyone they're struggling. What do you think? I agree. Nobody wants to tell people they're struggling. And I agree with Ginny. Getting the data we need is exit interview data, but people don't want to give it at that stage in time. I think we still do need data to show where we are, to show that there is still a problem and that we still need to work on it. And the fact that so many women in our profession feel that they're not well represented is hugely problematic and that all these problems with bullying, undermining, etc. still going on needs to be addressed. But we do have to have the data if we're going to show progress. I mean, you want to show that any implementation or any actions you take can be monitored in some way. Principally, we're talking about trainees here when we talk about those. Uh, have we got any stories about consultants at that level that have given? I, I can't think of any of my peers, but that would be quite powerful as well to, to, to discuss that group of, of, of yes. Um, doctors. Yes, I agree. All of us being, being consultants are often forgotten. I think people don't realize that consultants also men and women especially women, also face these issues. And we face it across the board. We face it whether or not it's a peer or a senior manager or even from trainees. And it's harder because to respond as a woman to bullying and harassment, well, that's to put crosshairs on your back, isn't it? Then we start to see how you can be judged for your responses. We talk about how a man can have the same responses, but will be judged differently. That's the like, you know, if you're 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 um, aggressive if you're a woman and you're assertive if you're a man, isn't it? That's Absolutely. that whole scenario. And oh my goodness, yeah. we've been there, haven't we? Been told yeah. we're aggressive, but yeah. if we were a man, we would never would have been called that. You're allowed to talk in a a very different way. Yes, and it's not right. You know, in theatre, I would say please and thank you. So yes. when, when I'm being asking for instruments and being handed instruments, but if you go into theatre with a man, they don't always ask that. I can be quite shocked. It's they just and it's taken and it's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and Kath, remember you saying about you being a skull based surgeon. Do you find sometimes that you are unable to impress upon people how sick your patients can be 
and how much they require close observation. Do you ever feel that you are taken as seriously when you're in that environment of managing your patients? I think initially when I started out, absolutely. I think over time and having a team that's worked with me for a long period of time now and are used to the kind of cases we're doing and also the kind of support from senior colleagues who popped in and checked on different things for me and asked me to do different bits of cases with them has shown the whole team that, you know, what I'm doing is serious work and we have to keep a close eye on those patients. But certainly initially starting out, it was as though I was still my, a senior fellow um, doing cases and perhaps the seriousness wasn't taken. Yeah. Ginny, when you started, did you find out, do you still get that once in a while when you try to negotiate for your patient? If it's happened, I haven't noticed it. Sometimes I think I've kind of like drifted along and ignored some of those things. You know, I've been I've been qualified for over 30 years now mm. uh, and I can see the the improvement. I mean, not so in how women have been treated. You still get the the questions when you're with patients about who's going to do the operation and they allow you to operate. And that's still happening now. And that hasn't changed. So I think we've definitely got scope for educating patients about gender diversity amongst surgeons but I haven't with my colleagues it's that hasn't been the case the bit that has annoyed me with with um at work is the untitling I get really upset about untitling now yeah it's got me into trouble as well but I used to not it used to not bother me but now as I'm more senior I can be the most senior surgeon in the list of other surgeons and I'm the only one with my first name and all the other surgeons are Mr. or Professor and there's me as Ginny and it's like, but I'm more senior than all of them. Absolutely. And it can seem like a really minor thing, but actually that's quite a big thing to be untitled like that. And I never used to correct people, but now I do. And, and on a ward round once I had a, a female trainee say, I'm really glad you did that because now I'll have the confidence to correct people because you did. So it may be it's important to us, but it's those people that are watching us as well and for them, that's reassuring to to have us correcting people. I don't. I have a real bugbear about untitling. Likewise, I have a bugbear about it, and I think that sometimes untitling is for me is also a cultural thing as well. It's worse because I see they don't do that to my male colleagues. It's always Mister. That's where I was going to come in. I don't mind people calling me by my first name at work as long as it's equal and everybody is by their first name. My problem is when it's Professor, Professor and Kath are going to be doing your operation. Mm. That's where it bugs me. And that's where in front of a patient, I don't think that's correct because that makes me sound like I'm the little helper there to help Mm. out. Mm. rather than doing the majority of the operation with two other people coming to do small parts. So that's that's a bit different. I think so. And I think I think it is very much what people want, you know, and, and, and asking people asking doctors what they like. Um, you know, within titles, obviously for some people they want to be doctor if they're non binary or mm-hmm. genderqueer and they're not comfortable with um very binary being Mr or Miss and they may use mix as well. But it's the actual not treating people equally and not giving people the chance. It's where language is so important within within everything. And and one change I see is that people are noticing that language is much more important in the language that they're choosing and being more careful about that, I feel. Picking up from language, and one of the things I see these days on social media is there's so much, there's so much meanness. I know that we're trying to raise the profile of equality and inclusivity and we're trying to embed it. But I find that sometimes the desire to want to 
almost humiliate an organization. I find it very difficult to tolerate. So much so I just go, right, I'm, I, I just won't be part of this discussion. Because I think that we have to be careful about how we try to foster change. You can't keep beating everyone with a stick. I think sometimes we have to be measured in the language that we use to criticize organizations or people who you feel are not doing. Otherwise, you are in real danger of making people ambivalent because they're just going to turn off and say, well, if that's the reaction I'm going to get, then I don't care anymore. Well, you end up with those cases of the white, cis, hetero male feeling that they're in a minority group themselves. And you've got this this medical student in America suing a medical school because they felt discriminated against because they're white and male. Yes. I mean, that's, you know, where there's this difficult situation where you have to bring everyone with you. How do you do it? How do you make people feel that they... Or do you just have to accept that they're going to, they've had, they've had it their way for so long and they just got to accept it? You need allies. How do you bring the ally? How do you create allies? Or are they people that will never be allies? Yeah, that's a very good observation. Would they never be allies? What do you think, Kat? I absolutely agree with Ginny. You have to have allies to bring along with you on that journey. You can't go head to head and, you know, beat somebody down about their beliefs. You can show by what you're doing, how you think things should go, but you need to have people with you to take on those ideas, taking them forward. Yeah. It's not a sprint, is it? It's a marathon. We have so much to do and we can't do it alone. One of the things that always I I try to remember is that we are an extraction of the general population. And within the general population, there are all sorts of people, the good and the bad and the really, really bad. <laughs> and, and we have that as well in, in medicine. And so balance is important. Do you feel that being a white woman, you are always being uh, told you have privilege compared to everybody? And how do you navigate that? I don't feel that I am always being told I have privilege as a white woman, which is interesting that I feel like that. Um, certainly not in the way that we think about a white male colleague, but I guess that's because I'm comparing myself to a white male colleague rather than to the mixture of women across the continent. I certainly think as a white female, I probably have had more opportunities more easily than other female colleagues who've had to fight harder for what they've achieved in their careers so far. And I think that we need to I guess it comes back to your equity, um, having more people around and show diversity within our workforce and having mentors and leaders that represent the true mix up of the medical graduate population at the moment. So I wouldn't say that I feel particularly privileged, but that's because I'm comparing myself to the white male as opposed to across the board. One of the lucky things for me is that I've been doing a lot of talking about diversity at meetings and I've been meeting some amazing people. And a few weeks ago, I met Evie Mensah, mm, uh, yes. consultant. Um, and we were like, we were Twitter friends for ages. I think we fangirled each other as soon as we saw each other at the same meeting. It was amazing. And listening to her talk was so powerful and she changed some of my perspectives, um, I'd not heard the terminology of global majority instead of ethnic minority used before. And she was so powerful in the way she talked about it that that, has, that for me, I've changed my language with that and rather than talking about minority to say global majority, I've learned that from her. And I suppose I'd never really thought about privilege as being a white person because 
you know, I'm female, I'm LGBTQ+, I'm in those minority groups. But seeing and trying to understand through someone else's eyes made me appreciate things, you know, that privilege that I have. I also have met Partha Carr going and, and, and discussing, um, on, you know, at different um, meetings and hearing him talk about the work. And I suppose part of my privilege was that I closed my eyes and ears to it and hadn't really listened. And to be able to listen to these people has made me appreciate the privilege I do have. But to understand that privilege, you've got to be prepared to listen to people who haven't had it and to learn from them. And I think that's true for all people who are battling um, against sort of other groups who are in a majority or in a power dynamic of majority rather than a numbered majority. That's really, really great responses from both of you. And now I'll ask you, what does embracing equity mean to you? And I'll come to you, Ginny, first of all. You know, we've talked about equality for a really long time. Um, and it doesn't seem to completely got us to where we need to be. So I think we should talk about equity uh, with inclusivity and diversity rather than talking about equality. That takes into account the different hurdles that people have to jump because of the problems that they face. And what we ideally want people to to be is be able to true to themselves, to be their authentic, you know, true authentic self at work, to have equity of access to those possibilities, to live their dreams really, and to be helped to overcome all those hurdles that, that they'll have. And it, it's a fairness of access. And that fairness may need a different, you know, might need a bit of help in comparison to get them to where they need to be. We need, you know, we need to reflect the population that we serve. We need to to do to to have um, allow everyone equity of access to to positions of authority, to positions of leadership, to being a surgeon, to whatever they want to do. But it's just having that 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 level, not necessarily a level playing ground, but a level playing ground achieved by removing hurdles if possible, or bringing people a little bit further forward to the finish line if required. Well, I think we've seen that in equal opportunities so far haven't been enough and we need more. I mean, equal representation is the goal, but through um, equal opportunities, we're not there yet. And equity means a way of getting us towards that goal with equality being the end point of where we're aiming to get to. We want to be inclusive and represent the whole population that we preserve, not just a few of us that are currently at the end in the consultant level of our career. We want to represent the population and certainly the medical school intake if we're talking about medicine, but in the wider population, it can apply to women throughout. And I guess it's that inclusivity where you're giving everybody the opportunity to be their best self. Wouldn't it be great, though, if we can, when we talk about surgeons, we always have to put this prefix in front of it, the male surgeon, the female surgeon, the gay surgeon. It'd just be you know, that day when, what I'd like is that day when we don't have to, when we all see ourselves as professionals, equal, independent of any other aspect, of our, and, and we respect each other for our, our skills and our technical yes. skills and our ability to talk to patients. And that's what we judge each other on, not not comment on, on those yes. demographics because it doesn't matter that's disappeared you know yes. wouldn't that be perfect and that's just yes. that's sort of wanting a utopia really um because that's that that's not going to happen yeah no it just would be that we judge each other on on our skills I agree you will find a lot of people who say well I do that already 
and I can and I want to say to them, they mm-hmm. probably don't. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> but uh, but when someone's saying there's an issue, before you jump to saying I don't see color or I don't see gender, or no, that's uh, you need to stop and listen first of all. But if you say that, because we we you know that's not admitting that you have an unconscious bias. And it's ingrained in us. We all have it. And, and, you know, you've got to accept that you've got unconscious biases because if you say that you don't do it, you're not acknowledging that you've got them and then you can work on that and you can yes. change that. So you've got to confront the fact that you do mm-hmm. um, and then move on from that. I agree. So we've had a, quite a great conversation, I think. Thank you very much, ladies. Any last minute comments to the people listening? Thank you for listening. <laughs> great. A little chit chat on a on an evening of discussing that and it's been really great to 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 spend this time with Kath and Ekpemi. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Ekpemi. Likewise. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. Please contact us via a website www.asis.uk or via email admin at aceis.uk to share any comments, feedback or ideas.